Thank you for tuning in to The Rundown here on WNYU 89.1 FM New York and online everywhere at WNYU.org. I'm your host, Grace Monabo. We've got a good show for you guys. Tonight, we will be covering the most recent string of hate crimes against people of color that have been occurring around the city and on campus. Then we will also cover the unionization efforts of an REI store in Manhattan. But first, here is your daily rundown. You're listening to 89.1 FM WNYU. My name is Muna Khalidi, and this is your Daily Rundown. On Tuesday, Biden announced new sanctions against Russia amidst the ongoing Russia-Ukraine crisis. The sanctions are set to target Russia's powerful financial institutions, national debt, and oligarchs in the country. The move comes in response to President Vladimir Putin's order to send more troops into separatist pro-Russian regions of eastern Ukraine after he recognized their independence just this week. After New York City Mayor Eric Adams unveiled his 17-page subway safety plan this past week, city officials announced in an MTA meeting on Tuesday that lines A, E, 1, 2, 3, N, R, and 7 would be the first lines that the city will target. The plan will see more members of police as well as mental health teams distributed across the New York City subway system in Mayor Adams' attempts to combat the recent spike in subway crimes. This week, we're celebrating a historic once-in-a-lifetime date, Tuesday, February 22, 2022, which reads as 22222. The date is known as a palindrome date, which means you can read it the same forwards and backwards, but its repeated value of twos is what makes the date one for the books. According to the National Weather Service, we won't see another one of these until the year 2422, almost 400 years later. For the Daily Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, this has been Muna Khalidi. Misty Avenger quickly gives an update on REI, an outdoor equipment store, and its employees' unionization efforts. Since 2021, there's been a rise in union organization correlated with the pandemic. Coupled with growing frustrations and a contentious political climate, employers are coming under fire for workplace treatment. The most recent of these union efforts are REI, an outdoor equipment retail store whose company executives were previously hailed for being progressive and forward-thinking. Its employees filed for unionization on January 21st, and the CEO, Eric Arts, responded in a company-wide email saying, We do not believe placing a union between the co-op and its employees is needed or beneficial. This sparked a bit of outrage, since grassroots efforts were seemingly among the progressive morals REI was once praised for. Since then, the RWDSU has set up a petition amassing 5,774 of 6,400 signatures, calling out Arts and the rest of the company for their intimidation tactics. Titled, REI Stop Union Busting, the petition calls attention to some of the anti-union strategies being used, such as, workers have been pulled into one-on-one meetings with management. REI President and CEO Eric Arts participated in a one-sided 25-minute union-busting REI podcast. So when people ask, why don't we support unions, my answer is simple. We do not oppose unions. It's that we don't believe, I do not believe, that introducing a union is the right thing for REI. 
And more specifically, I believe the presence of union representation will impact our ability to communicate and work directly with our employees and resolve concerns at the speed the world is moving. Management has posted an excessive amount of anti-union flyers around our pro-union flyers, and so many more. The first of the REI stores to head the movement was the REI right here in Soho. I went there to get statements, but unfortunately, nothing came of it. Luckily, I know someone who, well, knows someone. I was invited to join the RWDSU media briefing tonight at 7 p.m. More updates soon. I'm Misty Avenger, and you're listening to WNYU 89.1 FM. Multiple students of color have been attacked on campus in recent weeks. Arya Young has the story. On Tuesday, February 15th, NYU senior A.J. Sun was walking towards the Stern building when he got punched in the head by a stranger. Instead of being cared for and protected by campus safety, AJ's interaction with the university was disappointing, to say the least. Here's his account of the story. So on February 15th, at around 4.30 p.m., when I was walking towards the Stern Building, I was randomly attacked by a white male for no reasons at all. Like, I wasn't even looking at him. I wasn't having any conversation with him. Just, it just happened so fast. And when I realized what happened, like, he already ran away. And after that, like, passerbys, like, helped me call the public safety office, office, and an officer came, and he just took a record of the whole thing. But, like, throughout the whole process, like, he showed no concerns over my mental or physical health. And, like, when I asked him if I should call the NYPD because... It was my first time experiencing, like, an actual assault. So he, he looked at me and he said, like, because I don't really have any, like, serious injuries. Like, he said the NYPD probably wouldn't do much about it. So that's why I didn't call the police that day. And I decided to just wait for and to see if the school was going to make any announcement about this. But then I waited and waited and, like, school said nothing about it because there's actually, like, a possible danger on campus which is and during daytime as well like if the school is not gonna like warn the students about it i think like i need to do something to raise some awareness so i just made a post on instagram and people were reposting it like liking it and soon like 30 minutes after i made the post like the public safety officer like they contacted me and we had another call but when i asked if they're gonna like make a university-wise email to warn students about it. And he, she said, like, no, because it didn't fit the requirement. Because that guy did not say anything racial towards my face. And he simply hit uh, hit my head. So it wasn't required. Like, it didn't fit the requirement to send out the university-wise email. After AJ put pressure on campus safety to reach out to students about the incident, an email by Fountain Walker, Vice President of Campus Safety, was finally sent to the student body. In the email, the school claimed that two other incidents have been reported a week prior to AJ's assault. The first was on February 7th, when two students were both hit in the head in front of the Stern buildings. Although AJ says that it was actually four students who had been hit that day. The second was on February 13th. A student was hit in the arm on Washington Place. Victims of all three incidents gave the same suspect description, 
a man with light complexion and blonde hair. AJ briefly talked to the other victims about their experience as well. And then, like later on, another victim actually reached out to me through Instagram, and she her incident happened two days prior to mine, and she says、uh, she thought that it might be done by the same person because it fit the description. And then later on, I realized that she never got a response back from the public safety office because her the the day when the officer took a record of her incident, like. The officer just never reported back to the assistant. Like she, like when she had another talk with the public safety office, like they just said it was their first time hearing this. So which is really shocking to me because they simply just like ignored an actual like crime on campus like that, and they just like tried to bury like that, which doesn't make sense to me at all. So yeah, and later on, like we went to file the police report, and then eventually. On that day, like school finally sent out an email, which is then we realized that there's actually a third case, which is on seventh, and we didn't know about it. And this morning, the third victim was actually、uh, who was also like a Chinese student. He contacted me and he said like, yeah, instead of like two people getting attacked, actually like the four of them were attacked like on that day. So yeah, it's just like shocking that like. School did nothing to like warn people about it because like, if all all three were done by the same person, like, it's obviously like a very dangerous like person that is committing a crime like inside campus. At least they should let students be aware of this danger factor on campus. And if the school is not gonna do that, like I have to do that. You know, like I mean, I'm not. I'm just a normal student. I'm not even. Like a president of a student body or something, but if I can do that and let people be aware of it, like can they do it? Like it's their responsibility, not mine. You know. Out of the six students attacked on campus, five of them are Asian, and the other one is a person of color as well. Despite how apparent it looks, the university says that they are uncertain about the crimes being racially motivated. AJ has something different to say. The school said it's not a hate crime, but then you, on the email they mentioned that like two of the three three in this incidents were Asian, but like the second victim,、uh, she was actually like a Middle Eastern、uh, Californian. So I would say like we are all minorities. So if the the suspect is like only targeting like minorities, like I don't know if if their statement would make sense or not because if. Four people, like plus me, like five Asians, and、uh, a Middle Eastern got attacked on campus. Like, it's definitely like a crime against like minority people, you know. AJ also cautions students to protect themselves since the university seems to be lacking in its safety measures. If the school is not doing its job on protecting us, like we should at least like try to protect ourselves. Like, whenever, like when it's like nighttime, and if you're like walking on the street alone, like try to walk with someone else because. Like there's just a lot, lot of like weird people like in New York, and especially like hate crime against Asians are rising like so much these days. Just like, just be careful. Like it's really dangerous. For the rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Arya Yang. Last week, a vigil was held in Chinatown to honor Christina Lee. She was fatally stabbed in her apartment, becoming the most recent victim to Asian American hate in the city. Reed Miller has the story. For WNYU eighty nine point one FM, this is Reed Miller. 
On Monday, February 14th, many members of the New York City Asian American community gathered to voice concerns following the murder of a beloved neighbor and friend the night before. We're here today at a vigil and rally for Christina, who was slain yesterday morning early after coming home and being followed into her building and butchered and left for dead in her bathtub. Christina Yuna Lee was a 35-year-old Korean-American who worked as a creative producer with Splice, an online music platform, and was described as someone who radiated positivity, joy, and love. Her family says her death is part of an alarming pattern of unchecked, hateful violence against women, namely women of Asian descent and women of color. At her vigil, I spoke with Peiling Junik, an Asian-American woman in attendance. I think there's an ongoing issue, especially for Asian-American females as well as older Asian Americans in our community, as well as across the country, feeling unsafe in their own homes, in their own towns. There is no day that goes by where I feel 100% safe walking around outside. I cannot leave my house without feeling like potentially something could happen. Christina's murderer is a 25-year-old man whose last known address was a men's homeless shelter in the Bowery area. You know, we really should not blame the homeless individual. I want to emphasize that because they are patients. They need treatments. They need help and, and, and compassion. That was event organizer Jackie Wong, an advocate for policy change in hopes of preventing tragedies like Christina's in the future. J-A-C-K-Y-W-O-N-G, the organization name is called Concerned Citizens of uh, East Broadway. We want to tell the city about, like, about policy change because right now they put all the uh, shelters in our neighborhood just within one mile radius. If you look into the statistics, all the shelters are located in five neighborhoods only. It's in Chinatown Lower East Side, Midtown West, uh, Harlem, um, Bronx, and and did I say best eye uh, Brooklyn? All low-income people of color, um, immigrant neighborhood bear all the weight of the problem. I don't think that's fair. Borough President of Manhattan Mark Levine attended the vigil and wants to see policy change as well. We need to deal with a broken system in which people are cycling in and out of mental health treatment, of homeless shelters, of the criminal justice system, including people who are clearly a danger to themselves and others without getting the adequate treatment and intervention that they need. I'm not sure there's a clear solution, um, but clearly there's an issue with this specific incidence where the person who is the perpetrator was under scrutiny many times before, and because what he had done previously was not considered bad enough, he was let go again, and now Christina's dead. So I think there's something to think about there. We are outraged! This is a crisis for the city, and it deserves every resource available. At the end of the day, we have a $100 billion budget in New York City. New York State has a $216 billion budget. We have the resources to do this. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Her name is Christina Yuna Lee. Christina's family is raising money in her honor through the Christina Yuna Lee Memorial Fund, which will support the organizations and places that were important to her, including Womankind, the Prospect Park Alliance, and SafeWalks. For WNYU 89.1 FM, this has been Reed Miller.
Live in the WNYU studio, Rundown reporter Izzy McMahon catches up with Finley Murtova, whose father won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work as an editor-in-chief at Russia's Novaya Gazeta newspaper just a couple months ago. This was aired for The Rundown on November 3rd, 2021. Hi, Rundown. This is Izzy McMahon, a reporter, and I'm joined in the station right now with Finley Muratova. Finley, you want to say hi? Yeah, hi, everyone. So Finley is an NYU student. Finley, can you tell me a little bit about what you study and do at NYU? Uh, yeah, I'm a senior now. Um, I study journalism and environmental studies, but like mostly journalism, but we have to double major. Um, that's about it. Oh, I'm in print track, if that tells anyone anything. Awesome. And I know you did some stuff with Washington Square News, right? I did. I worked there starting in my freshman fall, and I was one of the people who resigned in the scandal, I guess you can call it, that happened last fall. So fall of my junior year. Nice, nice. And so your dad, Nobel Peace Prize winner. Yeah, oh, my God. For about a month. Take me back to the day your dad won. Uh, he called you, right? He did call me. It was actually really funny. Um, it was six in the morning here, and I was asleep. And my buzz, like my phone, is on mute except for my, like my dad and my mom. And so I got a call from my dad, and I picked up, and I immediately asked who died, because why else would he be calling me at six in the morning? Um, plus, like our lives haven't been particularly stable with him being a journalist in Russia. So, and there was a pause on the other line and I was shitting bricks in the meantime. Um, and my dad just was like, oh, um, sorry, you're actually speaking to the Nobel Peace Prize laureate. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then I remember laughing a lot because I couldn't, I can, be, I could believe it, but like I also couldn't believe it. So I was laughing a lot. Mm-hmm. So, when your dad has called you before because you talked about like there's that fear because he's a journalist in Russia yeah can you elaborate a little bit on that like what's that like having a father who is a journalist in a very repressive dangerous country to be a journalist yeah um it, it comes down to it's scary um I think that's the best way to put it it yeah, it's just scary. Um, we would go through periods of time when I was younger then I was pretty much certain that he's just not going to come home that day. Like, that that will be it. Um, there were periods of time like that, especially with, like, specific articles, specific threats, uh, dangerous periods in time. And then other times it would be relatively easy to forget about the dangers um, when it was a calmer period. So it comes and goes in waves, but generally speaking, it's scary. It's also really awesome because it's a really exhilarating, fast-paced life, and I enjoy that. Um, but yeah, so your dad is now the editor-in-chief of the Novia Gazeta. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about some memories you have as a child, um, either at, at Novia Gazeta or just like learning about it. Do you have any stories? Yeah, I do. So my dad has been the editor-in-chief for longer than um, you and I have been alive. Um, and he's one of the, like, I don't know, founding fathers of the newspaper, him and a bunch of his wonderful friends. I kind of grew up in the newsroom. When my parents didn't have anybody to leave me with at home, they would just let me roam the hallways, run around, go crazy. Um, I had a lot of, like, what I would call, like, my friends, but they were, like, 40 years older than me. And they would just, like, give me toys and make me tea and, like, play cartoons for me. But I pretty much grew up in the newsroom, so it always just felt like home. I think I remember 
the newsroom for as long as I remember, like, myself, consciously. And growing up in the newsroom, do you think that's what led you to want to be a journalist now? I don't know what led me to want to be a journalist because, again, for as long as I remember myself, I just always wanted to do what he does. Um, It just kind of clicked. I think I'm very lucky in that regard compared to a lot of other people who struggle with, like, not knowing what they want to do out of college and those things being really stressful and scary. I think I'm very lucky in that regard because I kind of never questioned it. It was like a very clear-cut answer. This is what I want to do. And now that I've been doing it for a few years, I want to do it even more. So it just got very fortunate. Mm -hmm. But I have no idea what started it. Right. Um, I know your dad was close um, with the journalist Anna Politkovskia. um, And she covered the war in Chechnya. And um, can you tell me a little bit about what what it was like? You were pretty young, right, when when she passed? I was Um, six. So could you tell me just in the listeners a little bit about, like, who she is and your relationship with her? Yeah, um, I obviously don't have a deep personal relationship with her because I was only 16 years old. 16 was six years old, 2006, um, when she was murdered. But um, my dad told me stories about me interacting with her, which brings me a lot of joy. Um like how I would bump into her in the newsroom because I was running like crazy or um, how we met during the they had like an, a, a press fair or something in one of the Moscow parks where people could like sign up um, to receive newspaper in the mail um, and she was playing with me so I hear those stories and it's always it's just nice to know that like she was around in the same orbit Um, But I heard a lot of stories about her after her passing as well from my dad. Kind of instead of bedtime stories, I would get stories about how cool she was. And I would always ask for more and more and more. Um, I have a tattoo dedicated to her now. What's the tattoo? Um, It's it's designed by my roommate. Shout out Annie. Um, It's so Anna would have this red sweater, red turtleneck sweater. Um, that she always, not always, but like she wore a lot. And she would have um, very specific glasses and a kind of a, a little bit of a crooked smile that people remembered. So it's the glasses, the outline of a smile and her turtleneck on my forearm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so it's been a long time since a journalist has won the Nobel Peace Prize in general. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you think the importance of that is today, the importance of having a journalist in the world represented? I mean, I suppose there are many answers to your question and it would take us forever to go through all of them. But I think it's crazy important because of the way, with the way journalism become and the way journalism is perceived currently, um, with especially in the US with the fake news and the way media is so polarizing and the idea of objectivity kind of, in my opinion, ruining soulful, helpful journalism because people are too afraid of being not being objective so they won't actually venture into the territory of human rights advocacy in journalism. And I think that um, I have to say specifically that Maria Ressa got that Nobel Prize and the woman has been single-handedly standing up to Filipino dictatorship for like, what, several decades? That's incredible. Um, And my dad as well, and I'm very proud of that. But I think it shows 
what journalism should be and what kind of journalism we should value. Entertainment journalism is great. News reporting is fine. Objective journalism, in my opinion, is obsolete. Um, I think a journalist should be a person who does something akin to what Maria or my dad or my dad's uh, colleagues do. And as a student journalist yourself, I know you're very passionate about covering Title IX Mm -hmm. and the Red Zone and sexual assault in college campuses. Do you think you've been inspired or you're trying to kind of reach the the kind of journalism that Ressa, your father, and everyone at Novia Gazeta is doing? I don't know what I'm trying to do. Um, My only hope is that I'll be a good journalist and I can be the best journalist I'm capable of being eventually. Right now I'm just learning and I have so much to learn. Um, I think that the cool thing about quality journalism is that it's different from reporter to reporter, from journalist to journalist. Um, So I guess I'm excited to discover my own thing or to see where the thing that I'm doing now leads me. Awesome. Well, that was a great conversation. Anything else you feel like we didn't talk about you want to you want to cover? Uh, no, not not really. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Finley, for coming in. Finley's been doing awesome student journalism and just journalism out in the world. <laughs> you can check Finley's work out at the Student Nation. Finley, what was the most recent article you just had uh, published? Do you remember the name? Oh, I would have to put a huge trigger warning on that one. Sure. So I'll give you probably the one before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one before that, also trigger warning, folks, because I do cover sexual assault, but it was um, how to survive being a student survivor. It was a conversation with the lawyer, Wendy Murphy, who was um, basically advising current student survivors on how to increase their chances of a successful Title IX case. Great. Well, you can check that out if you're interested. Finley, thank you so much for coming into the thank station. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. It was wonderful. Letting us into your life a little very bit. Very fun. Mm-hmm. This has been Izzy McMahon reporting for The Rundown. I will take the reins back to our host and producer, Grace Wanabo. That's going to do it here for us tonight. If you liked what you heard or you want to hear something different, you can email us at news at wnyu.org. I'll be back here next week, same time, same place, and I hope you'll join me.